0: Welcome to the Equipping You in Grace podcast. We are so excited that you are joining us for the show today. This podcast aims to explore a biblical life view in a conversational tone. Let's join our host and founder of Servants of Grace, Dave Jenkins, for today's episode. Thanks so much for listening. Welcome back to the Equipping You in Grace podcast. My name is Dave, and I'm the host for this podcast, and with me today is Dr. Joel Beakey. Dr. Beakey, welcome to the Equipping You in Grace podcast.
1: Glad to be back with you, uh, David.
0: Yes, sir. Uh, Can you uh, catch us up on what's going on in your life, marriage, ministry? What are you working on uh, project-wise these days?
1: too many forks in the fire, I'm afraid, but um, today we're wrapping up our spring semester here in terms of lecturing, which is a, a real joy to see our students growing as servants of the Lord and going out from Puritan Reformed Seminary to serve Christ in uh, pulpits and classrooms around the world. And next week, we're looking forward to a graduation. Lincoln, Duncan will be coming out and delivering the commencement address and so on. In terms of my marriage, going wonderfully well. It has been going wonderfully well for 30 years. I've got just a really blessed wife, Mary, and now we're empty nesters. All our children are wonderfully happily married to godly people. So we're humbled by that. And now Mary can go with me in all my conferences and so on. So that's a that's a pretty special
0: thing mm. uh, in my life. What am I working on? Well, we're doing several things right now. We're
1: doing a number of, um, of major book projects. We're working on printing translating and printing uh, and Maastricht's Dogmatics, which Jonathan Edwards called the best thing ever written beside the Bible. Uh, it's a seven-volume work. Volume 2 is at the printer now. We're working on Volume 3. We also just got the go-ahead to go ahead to do a 12-volume edition in the next 12 years of the complete works of Samuel Rutherford, which is an exciting development. And we haven't even... that many people know that yet, but that's just in the works, and we're having a meeting with between four editors in a few weeks, and then that project will get off the ground. There's several volumes there to translate from Latin into English, including the systematic theology never get translated, so that's great. We're also I'm also working on a two-volume uh, uh, publication of Anthony Burgess on John 17, which is uh, magnificent. And then we're still working on the <coughs> William Perkins Complete Works. We're working right now on volumes 8 and 9, and then 10 last volume and we're hoping to complete that all by uh, one year from may so one year from right now and we're also in negotiations right now with uh, some people who've been typing in the works of john cotton right? that's, a, that's a big uh, 10 volume set of cotton in new england puritan
0: wow that's a lot that's a lot that you're working on
1: well, i gotta tell you one more thing that's very exciting that's... i'm part of the Puritan documentary is a video project that will feature the stories and teachings of the great Puritan leaders, and it's combined with um, several other, other, other 30, 34 of the lectures, a two-hour video, 34 lectures, and an intro to the Puritan book by Michael Reeves and myself, and then a, a workbook on the lectures by Nick Thompson and myself. The whole package is selling for $100 pre-pub. That should come out uh, in June, so... We're pretty well done with it all. It's just being produced now. So that's an exciting thing for people
0: to introduce them to the to the Puritans. Oh, that's wonderful, sir. I look forward to that. Well, can you uh, please tell us a bit about your book with uh, Paul Smalley, uh, Reform Systematic Theology, Revelation and God, uh, why you guys wrote it, and how is it being received so far?
1: Right. Well, yes, yeah, this was a dream of mine, David, when I was a teenager already that I felt called to, to write a Theology someday I I was thinking pretty heavy things I guess and uh, I just felt like there was a real need for a systematics that would, would uh, really speak to the head, the heart, and the hands and feet. Minister to the whole man in the old style, where you look at what the Bible says about a doctrine, and then you look at uh, what church history has come up with, and then you look at the experiential and practical applications of that. So that's been our goal. And uh, then in my 20s and 30s, I thought, you know, I'll never pull this off. It's just way too much work. And in my 40s and 50s, I thought, you know, if I could just do one low side, I, like say soteriology, the doctrine of salvation. By the time I die, I'd be happy. But about three years ago, four years ago now, I said to my TA, Paul Smalley, who's, who's very good, who's been with me now for I think seven years, I said to him, Paul, what if you were to take my soteriology notes that I've been lecturing on for the last quarter century and you were to work them up and add footnotes and augment it a bit and present it back to me, do you think we could you think we could actually put together a volume that we, we could co-author and present? And he did that, and it turned out really well. And so I asked him, would you want to do another mosaic?" side? He said yes, and we did a second one. And then about that time, Crossway contacted me and uh, wanted to see our proposal for a complete systematic theology. So I went to Paul and said, you are going to pray about this. You've got to stick with me for four or five years if we're going to pull this off. And um God's got to keep us both healthy. And Paul agreed about it, and we decided we both would, uh, would, would actually commit to it. So that's how we we came came about it, and we're now about 70% done with writing the four volumes. Volume two is almost done. Volume three is about two-thirds done. Volume four, we have to write completely from scratch. So volume one is out. Volume two is scheduled to come out in October of next year. And then volume three, 15 months thereafter, and volume four Probably fifteen to eighteen months after that one well i, I love our, 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 yeah our goal our goal in publishing this is um, not just to serve seminaries but also to serve elders and uh, educate lay people and just to we want everyone to be able to read systematic theology and by the time they finish each chapter to be worshiping God rather than to say this is really this is really dry stuff
0: yeah i I really enjoyed it. I thought it was really, it was really, really good. I've read a lot of systematic theology. I I particularly loved how you quoted lots and lots of the reformers and Puritans, which you love, I know, to do, and uh, it's just really, very, very helpful. So, thank you for your labors. My pleasure. Why should good theology engage the head, heart, and hands?
1: Well, the old Puritans used to say, theology is unto living. uh, we are to, right Right thinking produces right living, and so we want to minister to the whole man because we are a whole man. We're not just a disembodied soul. We're, we're, we've got a soul, we've got a, a mind, we've got hands and feet, and so the goal of theology also in the Bible is that Christian teaching is love that flows from a pure heart, a good conscience before God, and a si- sincere faith, which is what uh, Paul is saying to Timothy in 1 Timothy 1.5. And so... Our theology must align with the priority of God's commandments, which of course as our Lord has said, is to love God above all, to love our neighbor as ourselves. So we gotta minister to the whole man.
0: Yeah, that's really good. Well, I, I already mentioned that you that you cite a lot of the reformers and the Puritans in this book, which you do quite well. How can reading the Reformers and the Puritans help develop our understanding of what the church has taught on the doctrine of God in Scripture? Well, at least uh two they
1: were avid students of church history themselves. Uh, If you read Calvin or or one of the Puritans, you'll see that they're constantly quoting Augustine, other church fathers, Chrysostom, as they explain and apply God's Word. So to read the Puritans is to be reminded that we are part of a movement that started thousands of years ago and to walk in a path trodden by many faithful saints before us. But second, the very word reform means that these theologians sought to refine and restore the Church's tradition by the Word of God. So rather than making us slaves of the past, the Reformers and Puritans led people into the future by making God's Word the only divine rule of faith and obedience. So in this way, they they strove to purify the Church of false traditions and reinforce the true traditions.
0: How do we, how do, we do that today? Well, we do that by faithful... Uh, exposition of the Word, and we examine
1: every tradition to see whether it's helpful, whether it's flowing out of the Word, or whether it's just a man-made tradition that really does the Church no good. Not every tradition is is a good thing, and not every tradition is a bad thing. Often traditions that in Christian churches are... More helpful than harmful, but we need to make sure that they're at least principially
0: grounded in the Word of God. That's good. How important is it for Christians to have a, a biblical and a theologically informed understanding of the doctrine of God for their life and ministry? Well, it's
1: critical. I mean, Christ, Christ taught us Himself a, a few things that are relevant to to this to your question. First, He said. In John 8, I believe, if you continue in my word, then you're my disciples, and you'll know the truth, and the truth shall, shall make you free. And the word uh, translated, continue there, means to have a permanent and intimate relationship. It's much like a branch, of body, and a vine that Jesus refers to um, seven chapters later. So... This means that a, a deep and lasting embrace of Christ's doctrine really is essential to mature Christian discipleship and to spiritual liberty. And then second, uh, Jesus said in John 17, verse 3, when he's praying to the Father, which, by the way, is the text that the Reformers preached on more than any other text in the Bible, this is life eternal, that they might know thee, the only true God in Jesus Christ, whom thou hast sent. So, really, our eternal life. Isn't that true? Uh, not just in heaven, but as we receive and experience spiritual life now consists of knowing God the Father and knowing God the Son through God the Holy Spirit. So understanding the doctrine of God, you, you might say, is a matter of, of life and death.
0: Are there particular concerns that you have about a lack of teaching on the doctrine of God today?
1: Well, well, certainly. There's, there's a tendency in most Churches, I would say today, or should I say most church members, that they want to hear what they call practical sermons about different little practical areas of life, and, and those have a place. but really everything in life is generated from our view of God. So a Christian who doesn't want to know God better is not a true Christian. It's an oxymoron. If you love someone, you want to know them better. So theology proper, or what we, we're just calling for the purpose of simplicity, the doctrine of God is really the foundational staple of the whole of the Christian faith.
0: How do we recover the doctrine of God in the church today?
1: Well, good preaching. Good preaching that really proclaims God as, as a triune and as the God who's one in all his attributes and proclaiming those attributes, as well as a good reading material. That people read God-centered books, good discussions, groups that maybe uh, study the doctrine of God, some popular books now that have come out in the Doctrine of God that are that are very, very good as well. So you see, Matthew Barrett came out with a new one that's sitting on sitting my desk here. Um, I think that we need to uh, stress that our relationship with others is actually dependent. Horizontal relationships of life are dependent on the vertical relationship we have with God. So, all of life, all of eternity is at stake here. And so, we need to be in the Word, in private study, Bible studies, you know, Jack Packer's famous book, Knowing God. is studied by so many done them a world of good. It's a lot of good material in that book as well. So what we've tried to do here is make the doctrine of God really accessible and readable. And yet there's many places, of course, where we confess to the reader we're over our head here and we cannot fully grasp God. But we do know this, that a true Christian needs to focus like a laser beam on knowing God better through all the spiritual disciplines.
0: Yes, and I think that'll help them to be able to face trials and suffering well.
1: Yes, well, I just, I just finished a booklet, right, editing the booklet by David McWilliams just uh, five minutes ago, which I'm saying to the printer right now, on how, how does the sovereignty of God strengthen me in time of trouble? And that's a perfect example. To understand the sovereignty of God can bring just a tremendous calm in the lives of believers, even when they're in deep
0: trouble. Yeah. How important is it that for Christians to have a robust, biblical, and theologically informed understanding of the doctrine of Scripture for their life and ministry? Well, the Apostle Paul wrote to uh, the saints in Thessalonica
1: that he constantly, constantly thanked God for them because he said, uh, I think it's in chapter 2, that when they received the word of God, which, yeah, here it is. First Thessalonians 2.13. When you receive the word of God, which he heard of us, you received it not as the word of men, but as it is in truth, the word of God, which effectually works also in you that believe. So Paul is saying it's crucial for sound conversion and healthy Christian living that we recognize that the Bible is not merely man's word about God, but God's word to man. And so if we doubt full inspiration of the Bible's words, then we, we're really inevitably leaning on our own understanding instead of trusting in the Lord with all our hearts. So one of the great works of the Holy Spirit, really, is to convince and fully assure us with that internal witness in our souls that the Bible is the Word of God so that our, our faith will not rest in mere men, but as Paul says in 1 Corinthians 2, but rest in God. So I would say to you that the conviction of the inspiration and the errancy of the Holy Scripture communicates to us a hearty sense of its authority and its sufficiency so that it effectually works in us through faith. Hmm.
0: So how should those convictions uh, inform or, or feel our, our preaching and teaching of the Word?
1: Well, I'm a preacher, so when I get up on the pulpit, I get up there with fear and trembling on the one hand because who am I to be a mouthpiece of God? But On the other hand, I get up in the power of the Holy Spirit and expect God to do great things because he said, my preached word will not return to me void. And so I expect God to save sinners. I expect God to mature saints. I expect God to bring him glory. And as much as I tremble on the one hand, so excited I am on the other that I can be this mouthpiece of God and that God has promised to be the other um preacher, as it were. As Calvin put it, in every sermon, there are two preachers, the earthly one who says some words, and then the the Holy Spirit who stands beside, as it were, the preacher, and takes the words and puts them in his bow, and as long as they're according to the Scriptures, shoots them out over the congregation and directs the arrow to each heart according to each heart's need. So, you know, if, if, if conversion depended upon me as a preacher... I feel like I had to do it. That would be a hopeless, terrifying proposition to preach any sermon, because everything would depend on you. Now I go and preach faithfully and entrust the fruits to God, confident that His Word is authoritative, that the Holy Spirit will use it, that it's sufficient for conversion. This makes all the difference. I can go on the pulpit with confidence in God.
0: Hmm, well said. Uh, are there particular areas in the doctrine of Scripture that uh, that concern you, where people are denying it and dismissing it?
1: Yes, Um Many people, we thought, we thought, We you know, we had this whole debate on inerrancy back in the 1970s, and we thought that was all resolved, because now people are bringing it up again. So we're, we're back to square one in terms of having to defend it again, in a way. On the other hand, uh, there was a lot of good material written on infallibility, inerrancy, and authority. Back in the 70s, there's more good material today. So, like always in church history, what's happening today is that uh, heresy or a serious error is provoking good men um, and and women to write in these areas and to shore up for us uh, why we think the Bible is the very Word of God.
0: That's well said. How important is it that Christians continue to grow not only in the Word and in skill and handle it, but also in maturity as theologians?
1: Yeah, maturity. Quite a word, isn't it? Um, it holds a holds a world of meaning, really. One one of the worst things, I guess, we could do with the Bible is fill our heads with knowledge about it, while allowing our hearts to wither spiritually in our lives to remain full of corruption and sin. You know, James tells us that uh, this is not uh, the wisdom that is from above. But it's earthly, sensual, devilish wisdom that produces envy and strife. True theology leads us into true knowledge and true wisdom, which is the childlike fear of the Lord. So if you want to be growing as a theologian, your growth in doctrine must produce a growth in holiness, godliness as well. So that's a process that never ends for theology or for a theologian for but the goal is likeness to Christ. We, in fact, every true Christian, therefore,
0: in this way, must become a, a theologian because he wants to be conformed to Christ. Mm, well said. Well, Dr. Biki, as uh, we wrap up this conversation and listeners go ahead and pick up this volume, can you give us a few takeaways that you want them to take away as they pick up and read and enjoy this? work that you've done.
1: Yes, I, I, I certainly want I, I think one of the biggest takeaways I want as people read this book is to be amazed at how every doctrine of the Bible not only as much to teach them about God and about themselves, but also can impact their, their hearts, their souls into a worshipful doxological frame where they where they're praising God and feel committed to go out and live the doctrine that has just been expounded to them. And so I would encourage every, every listener to this podcast to, to really not just read this book, but, to, but to, to lay beside the Bible and other sound books and really aim to grow in sound doctrine and godliness. I, I guess what I'm saying is turn off the TV and the YouTube and, and read, 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 meditate, pray for the edification of your, of your soul. And, and, and pray without ceasing. For the Holy Spirit to to come in with your reading so that you might really love and obey the Word of God. Mm. So make a make a concerted effort to apply whatever you whatever you learn so that you become a doer of the word and not just a hearer. And so one good way, that's why we added questions at the end of each chapter. One good way is to is to not study this book, maybe, or or for that for that matter, don't study the Bible. In isolation, find a good uh, Bible preaching, theologically reformed church. Be an active member of the church. Get involved in in, in or Bible studies rather, and uh, get to know other people. Get to be known by them. And, and and through all your reading, through your private Bible reading, your your private reading of good books, share that reading with others. And and when you when you repeat it to others, um, you 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 learn better yourself as well. Mm. And then uh, Finally, I might say this, use the reading you have of good theology to teach you how to better pray, better pray for yourself, better pray for your family, for, for your minister, for your church, for, for society, for the world. And remember, particularly pray for God's people, that they would be faithful, and your minister, for example. I mean, pastors and theologians and other Christian writers, they're, they're all just people like you, saved by grace, and subject to various trials and temptations so the only way that our books and our sermons and our teachings will do you and all of us good is by the grace of god in the face of jesus christ mm. so read and pray and search and grow and don't waste time in this world with uh, unedifying trivia time is more precious than gold
0: mm. well said sir well dr Biki, i i just continue to to be blessed by your ministry and And thank you so much for for making time for me today and just pray Christ's blessings on you as you write and minister and speak all over the world.
1: Thank you so much. God bless you, David.
0: Thank you, sir. Thank you so much for listening. We hope that you were encouraged by today's episode. Don't forget to subscribe and leave us a review wherever you get your podcast. For more uplifting and thought-provoking content, please visit us online at servantsofgrace.org. You can also follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Servants of Grace and on Facebook at facebook.com slash Servants of Grace. We hope you have a blessed day and we will see you next time.